This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org and join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Stand with me as you turn your Bible to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9. We have been studying the book of Mark together, an incredible book, incredible gospel, Mark's account. Mark's account moves very rapidly. You have four gospel writers who describe the life of Jesus Christ. Mark written primarily to the Gentiles, to the Roman world, and he talks about these uh, Jesus Christ coming. And from the very outset of Mark's gospel, you get the sense that Jesus is on a mission. And everything he does throughout the book of Mark is leading him to that climax when he would die on the cross for us and accomplish the mission for which Christ sent him. We'll get to the theme verse shortly, Mark 10 and 45, for the, uh, talking about his purpose for coming. His reason for coming was to be a servant and give his life a ransom for many. So we're looking at Mark, and, and, and you'll see all these miracles, one right after the other, about 18 miracles in Mark, four teaching sections in Mark. And today we're going to look at one of those incredible miracles that I believe so, has so much application for the church today let's look at it mark 9 and verse number 14 and when he came to the disciples he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them immediately when they saw him all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeting him and he asked the scribes what are you discussing with them and one of the multitude answered and said teacher i brought you my son who has a mute spirit Wherever he seizes him, he throws him down, and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought him to him. And when they saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell at the ground, wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has the boy, has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. For often he's, he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible. Say that with me. All things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit came out and convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said he is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand. Lifted him up, and he arose. When he came into the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? So he said to him, This kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Father, today we thank you for your word. I pray, God, you will open it up this morning in a new and fresh way. I pray, God, you will challenge each person here to be more involved in those great disciplines of prayer and fasting. God, I pray that your power would re- come to your church. You'd be mightily in our midst. 
We ask it in your mighty name today. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. With a voice of glory still ringing in his ears, Jesus Christ makes his way down off the Mount of Transfiguration. And he comes down, and the glory of God's been up there, and there's been Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and all the signs of God's glory are there. The cloud comes down, the voice from heaven. It's a powerful scene, and, and Peter, James, and John have been up there with him, and they're in awe, and, and, and they said, Jesus, it's time to go down. There's a boy that needs me down there. There's someone that needs me down there. And so they couldn't stay on the mountain forever. Jesus had a job to do. And he, he comes walking down and, and coming off that mountain, he all of a sudden enters a realm of chaos. And you've got the disciples and they're arguing with each other and they're arguing with the scribes and the scribes are there and they're arguing with the disciples. And you've got a father there who's desperate, who's hurting. And he's brought his son to these disciples, and, and he's frustrated. And, and so you have this religious debate going on. You have a boy crying out and screaming, all these sounds of chaos going all around. Can you imagine being in the glory of God one moment and, and the next moment be around the incompetence of the disciples? You get quite a contrast going on right there. You see, Jesus had already delegated his authority to the disciples, and then he takes his hands off, and he goes up on top of the mountain. And then you hear this voice of despair coming out of Jesus Christ, and it says, Oh, faithless generation, how long, how long should I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? That's a powerful, powerful story. And I want to just bring out a few observations this morning. First of all, I want you to notice how you see a, a picture of a desperate world, a desperate world. The man is absolutely defeated. His son, the Bible says, has a dumb spirit. The boy is dominated by a devil. He is demon-possessed. And, and, and you see throughout the travels of Jesus Christ that, that time and time again, he comes in contact or in direct warfare with demonic activity. You see this several times in his travels and his journeys. And yet every time Jesus Christ confronts the demon, there is an announcement that my kingdom of God has come. It is here among you. And he casts out the devil, showing once again that Jesus has power over every single demonic spirit. I don't care what your addiction may be. I don't care what your bondage may be. I don't care how long you feel you have wrestled with the devil. I have got good news for you. Jesus is stronger still. He's able to deliver you. He is able to set you free today. Now, the devil is called the God of this world. The Bible says the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. And he's doing his best to destroy human life. And if you go back and you look at verse number 21, you, you begin to understand the, the pain of, and anguish of this man's, this father's heart because he says he's been in this condition ever since he was a, a boy. Ever since he was a boy. I want to tell you, the devil wants to kill our children. Take a look.
seminar of imagination with a tail and a pitchfork. He's real. And there's a battle going on. There's a warfare going on. And he's out to destroy us. He's out to wipe us out. And what he does is he's targeting young people. He's targeting boys and girls. He's targeting youth, targeting our teenagers. He's doing everything he can to capture the minds of our young people today. The sins that used to be sins only of adults are now becoming the sins of our children. Junior high kids are now becoming alcoholics. 12, 13-year-olds. Young teenagers are buying and selling drugs. Exposure to pornography first starts at some time between the ages of 9 and 11 years of age. And because the devil starts early and because the devil wants to capture the minds of our boys and girls and our teenagers very early in life, I want to tell you, we have got to do all we can to win our boys to the Lord Jesus Christ at an early age. We can't let the enemy have them. I, uh, I was sitting in a service when I was six years of age with my mother and father and the altar call was given. We were at a church, and I didn't know. I just felt that pulling of the Holy Spirit in my heart. My mom and dad kept me in church, and from the time I was born up, and and, and I sat in the back, and I remember we were there, and the, and the pastor said, whoever wants to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, raise your hand. And so I raised my hand. I didn't actually know what I was doing at six, but I, I knew enough that I needed God. So I raised my hand, and then he said, whoever raised their hands, I want you to come forward now. And I walked down that aisle, and dad came, and walked down with me and knelt beside me. And 50 years ago, I invited Jesus Christ to come into my heart and life. And my testimony is not that he delivered me from drugs or alcohol or sexual addictions, but my testimony is one that God has kept me from drugs and alcohol and sexual addiction. And I want to tell you, if you will give your children to Christ early and show them the way early and cover their lives early, I like Pastor Jonathan. It's a whole lot easier to save them and train them early uh, than to try to come back and reconstruct their lives later as adults. If the devil can possess children's lives, as we learn from this children, this story, the Bible says he was demon-possessed from a boy. If the devil can be- possess our children, I've got good news for you, so can the Holy Spirit. And we want to see every one of our kids filled with the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Begin early teaching your children about God and who he is and about his love and his mercy and grace. You see, our kids are going to be barraged by obscene things on television. Uh, They will be exposed to every humanistic philosophy that is out there. Uh, And so we've got to begin early praying for our kids and claiming our kids for the kingdom of God. Don't let the devil have your kids. Let them be spirit-controlled, not devil-controlled. This little boy, the Bible says the demons had left him foaming at the mouth. He would gnash his teeth and grind his teeth together. He was thrown down to the ground. He would have seizures repeatedly again and again. Uh, He was unable to speak. uh, And these demons were literally coming in and ruining his life. Uh, And I will tell you, the devil hates you and wants to destroy you and your children. Desperate world. I want you to notice also, though, a defeated church. Look, if you were to verse number 18, 
For wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams in the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out. But they could not. But they could not. And he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. You see, the father brought this demonic boy, the demon-possessed boy, to the disciples and says, take care of him. We've heard about Jesus. We've heard about your teacher. We've heard about the miracles. And, and please deliver my boy right now. In Mark chapter 6, three chapters earlier, in verse number 7, I want you to notice this very carefully. It says in Mark 6, 7, And he called the twelve to him and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. Three chapters earlier, he calls the twelve. Nine of them were left down at the foot of the mountain. Verse number 13 of Mark 6 says, and they cast out many demons. So the disciples had already been given their commission. They had already been given their authority. They had already moved and operated in that power. And the Bible says that they had cast out many demons. Uh, but something happens between chapter 6 and chapter 9. Uh, there is a power leak. There is a power outage somewhere along the way. And what they did in Mark chapter 6, they could no longer do in Mark chapter 9. And you can kind of get this picture in your mind. Uh, the disciples there, they got their arms folded. Uh, they're judging like they always did and say, okay, where's the power of Jesus now? Where's the power of your teacher now? You tried and this guy can do nothing. Another disciple walks up and says, hey, move aside. I can, ta- I can handle this one. He walks up to that demon-possessed boy and, and says, Demons, come out. And nothing happens. That guy just keeps bouncing around on the ground, gnashing at his teeth, foaming at the mouth. Another disciple comes along and says, get out of my way. I can handle this one. I've done this before. He shouts all the louder. In the name of Jesus, devils, come out. And nothing happens. The guy flops around again and again and again. And there's no activity. There's no sign. uh, And the father is still in his pain. And the disciple, the the scribes are there mocking the disciples and making fun of them. And an argument about ensues about is Christ really the one? Uh, And the father says in verse 19, uh, 18, I spoke to your disciples that they should cast them out. But they could not. They could not. A defeated church. Take a look. Today, 
They could not. They could not. And so you have a problem. You have a desperate world crying out for answers, looking for deliverance, looking for hope. You have, on the other hand, a a powerless church. The world is sinking in sin under the control of Satan. And they're looking for answers and they look to a church, but the cry comes back. They, They could not. They could not. What's the problem today? Where's the power? Where's the power leak from the Acts church to the church of the 20th century, 21st century? Where's the leak? They, they could not. I believe the one, one of the primary problems in the church today is a word called compromise. Compromise. It leaves us impotent in the face of the onslaught of this world and the media and all the pollution around us compromise. Matthew and Luke tell the same story, only Matthew and Luke add a phrase to this verse that you see in Mark's gospel chapter 9. It says, faithless and a perverse generation. A faithless and a perverse generation. A lack of faith always produces more widespread evil. If there is faithlessness, there will also be disobedience. The Bible says he will convince the world of sin because they believe not on me. You see, when our faith drops, uh, when our trust drops, uh, when we get our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, disobedience rises at the same time. uh, And so you see this unbelief and disobedience in the word of God always coiled together like two snakes wrapped around each other. Moses is, is on top of Mount Sinai. He's been there for 40 days and 40 nights. He comes back down to incredible perversion as Israel is gathered around a golden calf and they're doing every kind of perverse thing imaginable as they worship this idol. And he's been gone 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus Christ goes on a mountain with Moses and Elijah for one day and he comes back to a scene of unbelief and confusion. They demonstrated the disciples weren't fit to be left alone. I want to tell you, we don't really know all the reasons why Jesus Christ timed his leaving and death and sacrifice and resurrection like he did. But I believe one of the reasons, one of the things that determined the length of Jesus Christ's life on this earth was the readiness of his disciples. And so he had to stay long enough to get his disciples ready to take over their mission. And so I think a lot of that determined when Jesus Christ, he would always say, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. What determined his hour? I believe to a large extent his hour was determined by the readiness of the disciples. And obviously he says, how long shall I be with you? How long do I need to hang around here? How long before I can fulfill my mission? Because you're not ready. You're the church. You're my disciples. And you're not ready. And he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long should I stay with you? Uh, They demonstrated they were not fit to be left alone. Near the end of his time on the earth, he addresses one of the disciples and he says again, have I been so long a time with you and yet thou hast not known me? 
what would he say of your character, of your faith? Does he shake his head when he sees us and says, how long, how long shall I bear with thee? I want to tell you, I am amazed at how long Christ has put up with me. I look at my life and I look at the stupid things I've done throughout my life and, and I know that God looks down and he sees me and he shakes his head and says, how long, Larry, how long, how long do I have to put up with you? The Lord gets weary of our unbelief. We see a, a desperate world. You see a defeated church. But you also see in this story a divine solution. Look at verse number 19, bring him to me, bring him to me. There is a desperate world out there. Their lives are wrecked by sin, but I want to tell you, I know who the solution is. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, bring him to me. Just get him to Jesus. I'll take care of it. Isn't that great to know? Jesus Christ is the absolute answer. He is the cure. Bring him to me. Listen, you may be sitting here today, and maybe in the past you have been disappointed by the church, and you feel like the the church has let you down, or, or you've been around other believers or other Christians, and somehow along the way you feel like those Christians have let you down. Uh, I want to tell you, bring them to Jesus. Uh, he'll never fail you. He'll never let you down. Bring them to me. Get your eyes off of people and get your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Bring him to me. Jesus and Jesus alone has got to be the object of our faith. Bring him to me. And like a skillful physician, Jesus Christ begins to probe this father. And he asked the father, he says, how long has, has your son been like that? How long has he, he been that way? And the father begins to trace, his, trace back a lineage of violence that has occurred in his home for many years now. And he says in desperation, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now notice he didn't say have compassion on him and heal him. The Father says, have compassion on us and heal us. In other words, the whole family dynamics have been impacted by this demon-possessed boy. Everything has revolved around this boy. It has affected the whole interactions of the entire family. And you can heal the weariness in his voice. Jesus, just have mercy on us, on my house, on my family. Entire family was poisoned with this unhappy home now whatever faith the father may have had when he came to the disciples it has probably now kind of been dashed away by the disciples inability to cast out the demons out of that boy Uh, and so his faith is weak Uh, it has undermined his faith Uh, but he says to jesus christ if you can do anything if you can do anything and his faith is wavering at this point jesus if you can do anything uh, but jesus responds by saying if thou canst believe Uh, the problem is not the ability of jesus christ to do anything Uh, the problem is our unbelief and our lack of faith he turns it around and says if thou 
canst believe all things are possible. The problem is never if Jesus can do anything. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ can do anything and everything. He created the worlds with the word of his mouth. He upholds all things, the Bible says, by the power of his hands. He calmed the storm, walked on the water, turned water into wine. The problem is never if he can do anything. The problem is always if thou canst believe. You see, the power of faith consists of our taking hold of the power of God. Faith is nothing in and of itself. Now follow me here. Faith is nothing in and of itself. But faith is that that attaches our heart to God's. Then the power of God can flow through us. And faith becomes the conduit for God's divine power. It's the pipe that attaches to the water main, uh, and we turn the handle and it allows the water to flow through us, uh, through that pipe, and fills up our empty vessels. Faith connects the fullness of God with the emptiness of man. Let me say that again. Faith connects the fullness of God with the emptiness of man. The Apostle Paul put it this way, my strength is made perfect in weakness. The measure of my trust then determines the measure of my Christian character because I said there's a link between faith and action. And so the measure of my faith, my connection to God, will determine the measure of my Christian character. I shall have as much purity, peace, gentleness, and love, and courage, and hope, as my faith is capable of taking up. So the question is, how much do I really trust God? The Bible says, according to your faith, so be it unto you. The only reason for defective spiritual progress and character is defective faith. Wow. Let me just say it again. I don't think you're getting it. Let me one more time. The only reason for defective spiritual progress and character is defective faith. Your belief and your trust affects your action. Look at verse 26 as we continue in the story. It says, and then the spirit cried out. I want to tell you, there are many times in Scripture you see these shouts of victory. uh, And it says in Psalm 47 and verse 5, And God has gone up with a shout, and the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Uh, And then it describes his second coming, uh, and it says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven uh, with a shout. Uh, But I want to tell you, when the Lord descends uh, with a shout, uh, there's all these demonic spirits uh, that will also give up a shout, uh, and that's the shout of defeat. Uh, There's the shout of victory, uh, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and anytime he comes in and breaks in on the scene, uh, there's another shout that occurs, uh, and that's the shout of every demon in hell saying, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble now. That man fell as a dead man, and it says in verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Jump down to verse number 28 and 29 as we wrap it up this morning. And when he had come unto them, unto the house, 
the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? So I said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Have you ever had a spiritual flop? Let's see your hand. Just a real spiritual flop. I have had many, many of those where you fall flat on your face. Aren't you glad you don't have to take that publicly in front of everybody, but you take Jesus Christ in private and you get alone with him and you say, okay, God, why did I blow it? Why did I fail you? What happened? What went wrong? Turn to Matthew 17. The same account in Matthew's gospel. I want to show you two verses. He expands on it just a little bit, adds a few words. Verse number 20. And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. For nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and by fasting. You see, the disciples had started putting faith in themselves. They'd already been sent out. They already were casting out demons. They were already healing the sick. They already did mighty acts of God. They were already advancing the kingdom of God. And if, and if you're not careful, you begin to think, boy, look at me. I've got healing in my right arm. I've got deliverance in my left arm. And I can do it all now through God, and I'm, I'm here, and I'm doing it, and I'm all that. Rather than keeping in connection always with the source of their power. The moment you can think you do it on your own, you're going to fall flat on your face. I mean, after all, they cast out demons before, and now they're kind of resting on their laurels. Jesus is not saying that you cast out demons by some magical formula. If you say the right words, if you say them in the right order, if you invoke the name of Jesus Christ, you go to the book of Acts and watch some guys who tried to invoke the name of Jesus, and the demons came out and beat those seven boys up, left them running naked and bleeding. You can use every formula. You can read every book on how to cast out devils and how to take authority and how to do this and that and all those kind of things. You can get all the intellectual knowledge down and you can do all the practice you want to. But unless you are staying connected to the source of your power, you will always fall flat on your face. That's why he says this kind cometh about by nothing but by prayer and by fasting. Now, it wasn't just a one-moment prayer. Lord, right now you hear me cast this devil out. I'm sure they did some of that. What he is saying in his word is there has got to be a lifestyle of prayer so that we are always connected uh, so when the crisis arises, uh, we'll be ready. Not a foxhole prayer that when you're in the foxhole and bullets are whizzing all around you, you start to pray. God is very emphatic. There has to be a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of fasting, a lifestyle of those Christian disciplines that keep us in contact with God. Then out of that lifestyle come the miracles. The reason for our powerlessness is our prayerlessness. The source of power in helping a desperate world does never, never comes from within. It only comes from God. It comes from our source in him. He is our power. The only way to get the power of God into a church 
or into a life is through prayer. Now, the lesson of this story this morning is is so powerful, and, and maybe it's so powerful because of its simplicity. We can be called and gifted and prepared and ordained and commissioned and sent out to be disciples of Jesus Christ. But if we do not remain in constant contact with the source of our power, we will fail in time of crises. You can have all the talents, all the abilities, all the gifts. But when that time of crises comes, unless you are in constant contact and have been with the Lord, you will fail in time of crises. There was an organist who was getting ready to play the organ for the Sunday morning service. And as the service began, she put her hands on the keys of that great big pipe organ and pushed them down, and it was silent. And nothing happened. There was no power to the keys. And uh, the pastor looking around noticed there was a silence. And so, lest there be silence and awkwardness and embarrassment, he stepped up very rapidly and went to the pulpit and began to pray a prayer. While he was praying the prayer, the janitor walked over and he slipped a little note to the organist. And, and, and she sat on the organ and opened up the note and said, after the prayer, the power will be on. I want to tell you, at Faith Assembly of God, you can open up that note. After the prayer, the power will be on. After the prayer, the power will be on. This kind cometh about but by nothing but by prayer and by fasting. Listen, some of you, you have children who are away from God right now. The devil's stuck his tentacles into their minds, into their hearts. Teenagers that are backslidden, young adults that are away from the Lord, and it breaks your heart, it grieves your heart. Others' families are seem to be out of control, and you've got that kind of system of chaos going on all around you. This kind cometh about by, by nothing but by prayer and by fasting. Some of you in here may not know the Lord Jesus Christ today. I have got great news for you. He loves you. He gave his life for you, uh, and if you'll come to Jesus, not man, not a church, not a religion, but if you will come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has the ability to transform your life today, this morning, in this service by his power. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for you today. Thank you, mighty God. Father, right now I pray for each person in the house today. Lord, you love them so much. Thank you, God, for your great mercy. Thank you for your grace. I pray for those here today who may not know you, Lord. I pray that before this service ends today, they will find you as the Lord and Savior of their life. Thank you, mighty God. I ask it in your name. Amen. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.